without further ado, I want to get right to the word because I don't want to hold you guys long this evening. I uh, want to get to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Uh, we want to look at verse 30 through 32. Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 30 through 32. Once again, that's Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 30 through 32. Um, and I'm going to read that in your hearing. Um, Luke chapter 10, verses 30 and 30 uh, through 32. Um, I'm going to read that again in your hearing. Here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 32. Uh, it says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, a priest uh, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Once again, uh, verse 30 says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came down, to, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. Uh, just for a few moments uh, this evening, this Friday night, this FNL, this Friday Night Live, uh, I want to just preach under the subject non-essential churches, non-essential uh, churches. Let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now, God, in this preaching moment, the only thing that we ask is that your spirit will fall, uh, your son would be lifted, and you would be revealed. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Non-essential uh, churches. Um Ladies and gentlemen, I've been wrestling with a sobering reality uh, for the past few months, uh, and, and it comes from a conversation I had with a man back in May who was upset uh, that throughout the shelter-in-place mandate, local liquor stores remained open while churches were told to close their doors. Uh, during our conversation, the man asked the question, how is it that the liquor stores can remain open, but our churches are required to close their doors? Why, why is it that the church is deemed non-essential? And listen, y'all, as I began to share why I believe churches ought to close up and uh, 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 and, and, and just want to throw this out just to everybody who, who is questioning that, listen, we, we, we have a responsibility as pastors uh, to make sure that our members are safe, right? And so as I was sharing my views on why we should close down the church in the midst of a pandemic, and while the man was sharing with me how he upset he was that churches had been deemed non-essential by the government, uh, an unnerving and uncomfortable thought hit me like a ton of bricks. And that thought was simply this, the thought was long before the government in the midst of a pandemic deemed our churches to be non-essential, many of our communities in which our churches are located deemed us non-essential. I say it one more time, uh, the thought that hit me and messed me up was the thought that said long before the government in the midst of a pandemic deemed our churches to be non-essential, many of our communities in which our churches are located had already deemed us non-essential. In other words, it didn't take a government mandate for the man across the street to know that our church was non-essential. It didn't take a proclamation from a mayor for the woman down the block to recognize that our churches are non-essential. It didn't take a governor's press conference for family around the corner to realize that our churches are non-essential. No, no, no. Uh, they, they knew that years ago. They, they've known for years that the only thing that church up the block, that church around the corner, that church 
church across the street, that church a few streets over, that church down the street, that the only thing that that church does is take. It takes your time, it takes your money, and it takes up space. And the only time they ever make a type, any type of deposit into the community is to either pass out groceries or when they come out in packs bribing us to come to their church for an evangelistic series so that they can continue to take from us. Uh, our communities didn't have to be told we were non-essential. They knew we were unnecessary when we didn't show up to the school board meetings and push for better education for the children in our community. They knew we were unnecessary when we didn't show up to city council meetings and challenge the mayor, district leaders, and the police chiefs. They, they knew we were unnecessary because they hear how loud we are when we're in the building, but they also hear how silent we are when we're in the street. We are non-essential because the community does not benefit from us being there. Uh, neighborhoods haven't got safer because we've been there. Jobs have not been created because we've been there. Support has not been given because we've been there. Justice hasn't been demanded because we've been there. Resources have not been supplied because we've been there. Our churches have been long, has been non-essential long before coronavirus ever got here. And listen, there's somebody in here who's watching saying, nah, pastor, I disagree. Uh, even though we're not making our community better, we are essential. We just haven't done anything because we have to get our own selves right before we go out and make everybody else better. And let me just say uh, that if you believe that foolishness, then you have allowed the devil to deceive you because the reality is we will continue to be non-essential within our communities as long as we have an inward focus and not an outward focus. Uh, Ellen White puts it this way. She says, she says, this work has been neglected. Uh, she says, is it any marvel that God does not visit the churches with greater manifestations of his power when so large a number are shut into themselves, engrossed in their own interests? She says, it is thus that their piety becomes tame and weak and they grow bigoted and self-caring. She says, it is in working for others that they will keep their own souls alive. If they will become co-laborers with Jesus, we we shall see the light in our churches steadily burning brighter and brighter, sending forth its rays to penetrate the darkness beyond their borders. In other words, Auntie Ellen says that our churches are powerless and have no positive effect beyond its walls when we remain shut into ourselves and maintain an inward focus. In other words, many of our churches are non-essential. And for those who still disagree, ask yourselves the question, how has our church doors closing the community changed the community. How have our church church uh, closing their doors affected our community? And is the only change in our community or the only effect that us closing down has, is the only effect that our, our, our church is closing down had uh, is that there's more space for people across the street to park. In other words, how has our shutting down affected our neighborhood? Do people still go on as business as usual or, or is the only change uh, that happened because we shut our door or shut down our churches is the only change that there's no more parking spots, uh, that there's more parking spots available in the parking lot. CC, many of our churches are and have been non-essential long before coronavirus got here. And the reality is our communities know it. And here it is. They're suffering because of it.
See, see, listen, I'm in the text, Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Your Bible says that there's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and on his way, he's attacked by robbers. He's beaten, he's stripped of his clothes and he's left for half dead. And the Bible says, by chance, a priest comes down walking along the way. And when he sees the man, he crosses the street instead of helping the man. Then the Bible says a Levite comes by and the Greek lets us know that he doesn't just see the man, but he actually takes time and investigates the man's state. And after which he too crosses the street and continues on his journey to, Jer to Jericho without providing any help. And listen, as many times as we had heard this parable preached, we fail to realize that these individuals are an outgrowth of a non-essential church. Because non-essential churches produce and disciple non-essential members who are of no benefit to the community or anybody outside the walls of the church. Uh, how, how, how do you know that they, they were of no benefit to the community outside the walls of the church? Well, I'm glad you asked, y'all. Uh, geography lets us know that this road going between Jerusalem and Jericho was the most dangerous area or dangerous place in the area. Uh, the road was also known as the scent of red by the Arabs or the bloody way as the Romans called it. It, it was a 17 mile trek down a rocky and mountainous terrain. Uh, it had many caves where evil individuals could hide and lay in wait for an innocent unarmed individual that they could take advantage of. It was known as the place where innocent travelers would be targeted, hunted, stopped, robbed, brutalized, and often killed. It's the place where injustice happens on a daily basis, and those committing unjust acts are rarely prosecuted, if ever. This is the reality of the road to Jericho, as well as the reality of the man who was targeted, hunted, brutalized, robbed, and left for dead in the text. Uh, but re what really becomes problematic for me, if you study further, is when you realize that Jericho during this particular time was a popular hub for priest, meaning if you were a priest at the time, more than likely you lived in the city of Jericho. And listen, if I could borrow a term from one of my favorite preachers, Howard John Wesley, can I can I push it here? Uh, if if you if you just do further investigation, you'll recognize that not only did a large population of priests reside in the city of Jericho, but because they were priests and worked in the temple that was located in Jerusalem, they would use this particular seventeen mile road regularly. In other words, they worshiped in Jerusalem, but they lived in Jericho. They worked in Jerusalem, but they lived in Jericho, meaning that they traveled on this dangerous road called the Ascent to Red or the Bloody Way. They traveled down this road regularly, which means, y'all, that they're accustomed to seeing brutality. They're accustomed to seeing injustice. They're accustomed to seeing terrorism and acts of hatred. They're accustomed to seeing injustice go in unpunished. And their only response, hear me, y'all, their only response to a community living in fear, their only response to a community crying for justice, their only response to a community that is being brutalized, shamed, and killed is to simply cross the street, making their way into Jericho where they praise God for granting them safe passage, or they make their way to Jerusalem where they go into the temple and worship, ignoring the needs of the people that they have been called to serve. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that these individuals are placed in scripture to show us the characteristics of a non-essential church. Listen, I got three characteristics. I went to Oakwood. They taught us to preach. I, I got three things, three three characteristics. Uh, then, then I give you a solution and I get out your way. The first thing uh, that these particular texts show us uh, is that non-essential churches ignore injustice outside of the church 
because they consistently ignore injustice inside the church. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, non, Non-essential churches ignore injustice outside the church because they consistently ignore injustice inside the church. Uh, what, do, what do you mean? Well, I, I need you to know uh, that the road to Jericho is not the only place where the priests and the Levites have seen injustice. Yeah. Uh, if we're faithful to scripture tonight, uh, you'll recall uh, that within the temple in Jerusalem, there's injustice. And it gets so bad that Luke says in chapter 19, same book we're in, nine chapters down, uh, that Jesus had to drive the folk out who were exploiting and oppressing the poor. He had to drive them out of the church. And John says that our Jesus uh, was so angry with the folk who were exploiting and oppressing the poor, that he braided up a whip and he was swinging it on them as he drove them out. There was so much injustice and oppression taking place in the temple that Jesus says, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. And here's what blows my mind, y'all. Jesus uses the same Greek word for the robbers in the temple when he describes the folk oppressing the poor as he does when he talks about the folk hiding along the rocks on the road to Jericho oppressing the travelers. In, In other words, Jesus is saying that the same oppression that you see outside the temple is the same oppression that takes place within the temple. Why is that important? Because the priest and the Levite are surrounded by injustice and oppression every single time they walk into the temple. And Luke says that the only person to speak against it was Jesus, meaning that these church folk, these church folk have developed a habit of ignoring or crossing the street when they see injustice. And here's the real problem, y'all. When we consistently ignore injustice inside the church, it makes it very easy for us to ignore the injustice that takes place outside the church. Uh, when we ignore the fact that women are consistently marginalized, disrespected, and held to a higher standard than men, when we are consistent, when we consistently ignore the fact that women are oppressed inside the church, it makes it easy to cross the street when we see the Breonna Taylors and, and those who are faced with injustice, injustices of a patriarchal society outside the church. See, when we ignore the fact uh, that members of the LGBTQIA uh, community don't feel safe in many of our churches and are often either demonized in the pulpit, judged in the pews, or made fun of in conversations. It makes it easy for us to cross the street and ignore the fight for equal rights and cause us to refuse or champion the fact that every single Black life matters outside the church, uh, outside of the church. Uh, non-essential churches ignore injustice outside the church because they have a history and and a consistent ignorance uh, of injustices inside the church. But but not only do non-essential churches ignore injustice outside the church because they consistently ignore injustice inside the church, uh, please understand, number two, non-essential churches use religion to spiritualize their way out of responsibility. Yeah. Uh, 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 Non-essential churches uh, also use their religion to spiritualize their way out of responsibility. So, so, so let me uh, let me let me help you out with this. Um, I, I'll never forget uh, the the night that the NBA came back. Yeah, as y'all can see, I, I'm 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 from uh, Southern California. I'm a diehard Laker fan. Uh, I, I can't. I, I I remember how excited I was when the NBA came back, and and the first game that I watched, 
there was something interesting that happened. Um, every single player, uh, every coach, every referee, everybody who was on the floor during that first game, uh, they took a knee in solidarity for Black Lives Matter during the singing of the national anthem. Everybody except for one person. Uh, additionally, every player had a shirt on with some words that said Black Lives Matter on it in big, bold font. Everybody uh, except for one person. Uh, that, that one person goes by the name Jonathan Isaac of the Orlando Magics. Uh, he, he stood during the national anthem and did not put on a Black Lives Matter shirt. And when they asked him why he didn't put on a shirt, he said, and I'll paraphrase this. He said uh, uh, he believes that the shirt can't change people. Only the gospel can change people and that all of us are sinners. And because we we are sinners, we tend to only point out the visible sin, meaning racism. We only tend to point the visible sin out of others. When they asked him why he didn't stand, he said, and I'm still paraphrasing, he said, I only take a knee for God. Uh, the problem here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with Jonathan Isaac, along with so many other individuals who think like this, is that their boldness for God never pushes them to speak out against injustice. It only flares up to divorce themselves of any responsibility. I say it again, uh, that their boldness for God, the problem with these individuals is that their boldness for God never pushes them to speak out against injustice. It only flares up to divorce themselves out of any responsibility. In other words, they use religion to spiritual their way out of responsibility. Listen, I'm in the text because your Bible says that the priest and the Levites see this man lying on the ground naked and half dead. And scholars suggest that even though the priest and the Levite were taught that if they ever saw a body, saw a body and there were no relatives present, uh, the responsibility of caring for the body would fall on them. They, they, they pull out their religion in order to divorce themselves of any responsibility. Uh, they, they, they're religious as long as it allows them across the street. They're religious as long as, long as it uh, excuses them from lending out a helping hand. They're religious as long as it allows them not to have to make a sacrifice, but they're not religious enough to make the road safer for travelers. Uh, in other words, they use their religion to spiritualize their way out of responsibility. And listen, the, the reason many of our churches are non-essential in our communities is because we have a habit of using our religion to spiritualize our way out of responsibility. Let, let, let's just be honest tonight. It's folk in our churches who, who never cared about the Sabbath until they heard that the church would be serving the community instead of themselves on a particular Saturday. And all of a sudden they pull out their religion and begin to talk about how we ought to keep the Sabbath holy and in an attempt to spiritualize our way out of responsibility. Let's just be honest tonight. It's folk in our churches who haven't talked to or heard from God in years. But all of a sudden when changes are made to focus more on the community and less on the stale and fruitless tree traditions that are going on inside the sanctuary. They're the first ones to talk about how God, uh, uh, God doesn't doesn't like the changes and, and how uh, we, we will have to proceed to, and they'll proceed to present Ellen White quotes and scripture out of context in an attempt to spiritualize their way out of responsibility. And all I'm trying to say to y'all tonight uh, is when we use our religion to spiritualize our way out of responsibility, we create more of a disconnect between us and the community in which we're located and we create 
create more of a reason for the church to deem our church, for the community to deem our churches non-essential. But listen, not only do non-essential churches ignore injustices outside the church because they consistently ignore injustice inside the church. And not only do non-essential churches use their religion to spiritualize their way out of responsibility. Lastly, lastly, I'm going to let y'all go. Non-essential churches value the place and not the people. Yeah. Non-essential churches value the place and not the people. Uh, I I stated this earlier that uh, this priest and Levite worked in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, but but, but geographically and historically, uh, they, they lived in Jericho, which means that in order for them to get from the temple, they have to travel up and down the bloody way. And here's what's crazy. They would do this willingly because they value a place that they, they, they risk their lives because they value a place They they sacrifice their time because they value a place. But but when it comes to people, <laughs> they cross the street. And see, the sad reality is that many of our churches have become non-essential in our communities because we value the place over people. Okay, Uh, let's just let's just talk. Let's just talk tonight. Uh, You know, we value the place over people uh, when folk will show up to discuss fixing the church, but are nowhere to be found when it's time to serve the community. You, You know, we value place over people. Uh, when we deify the church and the parking lot and we get angry when anybody in the community hangs out on the church premises, uh, you, you know, we value place over people uh, when we fight to ensure that the church stays the way it has always been rather than making the uncomfortable but necessary changes in order to provide support, justice, resources and protection to those in our community. And listen, listen, when we value place over people, we become non-essential churches within our community. So so listen, I'm done, y'all. Listen, the reality is uh, that many of our churches have been deemed non-essential long before coronavirus. They've been deemed non-essential, not by the government, but by the communities in which our churches are located. And listen, if we're honest today, tonight, many of us can admit we're not essential in the community. We ignore justice inside our church. And it makes it very easy for us uh, to ignore justice outside the church. We we, 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 we're non-essential. We use our religion to spiritualize our way out of responsibility. Uh, We're non-essential. We value the place more than we do the people. The reality is uh, our churches have been non-essential long before uh, coronavirus ever came and we had to shut our churches, our doors down. So so here's the good news. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Uh, Just because our churches have been non-essential doesn't mean they have to stay that way. See, see, here's the challenge from the text. Here's the challenge from the text. Uh, The challenge from the text is find the Jericho road in your community. Yeah. Find, find that place (laughs) uh, uh, 
that 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 is ruining lives. Find that place, that that road that that is causing pain. Find that place that that is causing heartache. Find that place uh, that is preying on the poor. Find that place where where where, where injustice is taking place. Find your Jericho Road. Your Jericho Road in your community might be the educational system. Your Jericho Road might be the police department. Your Jericho Road might be redlining. Your Jericho Road could be your city officials. Find the oppression and injustice in your community. And as a church, do something about it. That's really all I have to say today. Listen, listen, in order to be a, in order not to be a non-essential church, you have to find the thing that's taking place in your community, the Jericho Road that is happening within your streets, your neighborhoods, and you have to be willing to do something. Listen, I believe that God shut down our churches so we can get a glimpse of how the community views our churches. Listen, we have not been effective in our churches. We haven't poured into people uh, in our community. We haven't changed anything in our community by and large, uh, but God has pulled us away from the building to let us know and give us a time out so that when we go back, we can do things differently. And here is the whole appeal. Listen, if you believe that your church has been non-essential, if you can say that, listen, we haven't added to the community, we only take from the community, we've done nothing to solve the injustices that are happening along the Jericho Road in our community, God is calling us today to do something about it. Do something about it. Find a road. Do something about it. If it's if it's education, volunteer. If, if, if it's this, if it's the police, show up. Say something. If it's if it's if it's redlining, do something about it. If it's injustice, protest about it. Do something. Otherwise, our community will continue to deem our churches as non-essential. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the challenge you presented to us through the text. God, we recognize that long before coronavirus ever took place, we recognize that our communities, many of our communities, have deemed our churches to be non-essential. God, we recognize that, that, that there are some things that have caused them to feel that way. God, we recognize that we ignore injustice inside the church, and it makes it easy for us to ignore injustice outside. God, we recognize uh, that we use our religion and our spirituality to spiritualize our way out of responsibility. God, we recognize that oftentimes we value a place over people. Lord, forgive us and allow us to find this week. Allow us to find the Jericho Road in our community. God, this week, allow us to find the Jericho Road in our community. And then God, motivate us to do something about it. Allow us to be agents of change. Allow us to be salt. Allow us to be light. And allow us to make our communities better so that we can move from non-essential churches to essential churches. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for what it is you've said to us tonight. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.